today is, uh, is part three of uh, a mini-series that we're doing in the larger series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians, we're calling this Made New to Live New, because uh, throughout this book, um, Paul, the apostle, is explaining to the people in the church in Ephesus and to us as well that we um, have become new creations in Christ, and that uh, filters into, it pushes into a different kind of life um, than the one that we, we lived before. Uh, we're living a life appropriate to the new creation that we are. And yet at the beginning of the book, uh, the first 14 verses are a prayer that Paul prays, a prayer of worship. And in that prayer of worship, uh, Paul gives us and the Ephesians the big truth, as it were. The, uh, the big truth about the universe, about where we fit into it as believers in Jesus and as part of the church. And so we're calling this mini-series, Get the Big Truth First. Because if you have that, if you have these elements of the big truth, then uh, all the other smaller parts of your life and, and the things that he's going to uh, explain in the next uh, chapters of the book start to make sense. They have context. So this is get the big truth first, part three. The three parts that we, we've looked at, are the first part has been the Father has chosen us in Jesus the King. Uh, this is talking about the doctrine of election and predestination. The idea that back at the very beginning, before the world was even created, God knew us, knew his, his, the people of Israel, and knew the church, that uh, he had this master plan. We'll talk a little bit more about this today. But in that master plan, we were a part of what God had for himself and for the world. And that was the Father has chosen us. Uh, Part two was the Father has delivered us from bondage through Jesus the King. This is the doctrine of salvation. And we talked last week about how through Jesus, God set us free, liberated us from sin and bondage. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today because it, it plays in. Today, part three is secured for the promised land by the spirit of Jesus, the king. And so we have a series of things that God has done. He's chosen us. He has delivered us. And now he's telling us that he has secured us for our final destiny. That it's not in question. It's not in doubt. And let's learn about that today. Please stand as we read the text. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we Jews who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. Now, when we talk about the three parts of the big truth, we're really talking about Israel's story. And this is something we've been emphasizing over and over in this series, that what Paul's doing with the Ephesians is he's telling them that even though they're Greeks, or a lot of them are, are Gentiles, uh, they're a part of Israel's story. In fact, what's happened in Christ is a retelling. It's patterned off of what's happened in Israel. So just as God chose Abraham from the beginning of the world, he's chosen the church too. And just as God liberated the people uh, in the Exodus from from bondage to Pharaoh, he's liberated us from the power of sin through the blood of Christ. And if you think about that, you're thinking about Abraham, 
And then you're thinking about Exodus. And if you think about Israel's story, the next thing that happens is the wilderness wanderings, right? If you remember, Abraham uh, is chosen by God. His descendant, Joseph, goes uh, into Egypt. Eventually, Egyptians don't like what uh, the Jews are doing. They're getting too powerful and too many, so they enslave them. And then God liberates them under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And then that leadership transfers into what we call the wilderness generation, okay? So we've been freed, but they're not quite to where they're supposed to get yet. And Paul thinks of the church's present experience in these terms. This is the first thing in your note sheet. It says, Paul conceives of our church present experience of waiting for the Lord in terms of Israel's wilderness wanderings. We're going to see a little bit of that. In terms of the wilderness wanderings of Israel. Now, uh, last week what I did is I, I kind of smoothed out the language. The language of Ephesians is very complicated. I've told you before, it's a monstrous conglomeration in Greek. That's uh, what a, a German scholar calls it. It's very difficult to penetrate. And so last week I gave kind of a smoothed out 20th, 21st century English kind of translation of the text and showed you step by step how I got there. And I'd like to do that again, just so that we get a really clear sense of what it is that Paul's communicating. And so let's look again at verse 11. It says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I've just uh, changed this a little bit. Been appointed. It's a little more literal, a little closer to the, uh, the Greek. Um, and it, it draws on something from the, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that we're going to bring out in a second. So really not a whole lot changed there. Uh, if you go on in verse 11, it says, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that's a lot of language, a lot of language there. Um, and it kind of, it almost gives us this sense of, uh, to me, it sounds in English like there's, you know, God's up there and he's calculating. He's like, he's like thinking about, there's this thing outside of him, the counsel of his, of his will. It just sounds very strange. Um, but what, what's really, we're really trying to, to draw out here is the language of design, of plan, of architecture. And so we were predestined by the plan of God, um, according to the purpose of him, by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. I've changed, um, who works all things. Now, uh, for a couple, um, for about six or eight months, it was all I could take. Uh, after I got back from Japan, I worked for, uh, for Glenn in his architectural office. And uh, just a just madness uh, working there. I don't know how familiar you are with, um, with architecture and building and whatnot, but it's a very strange business. It's strange because... So, so Glenn sits down with a client, and the client says, I want this. And then and Glenn says, oh, okay, yeah, we can do that. And he's like, I'll draw up some drawings. It should take about, you know, a month or whatever. And it should cost about this much. And, and the client says, oh, okay, great. And they, you know, it's a deal. Well, the crazy thing about architecture is that you think you know what's going to happen, but it never works out that way. So what Glenn has found out over the years is he says, we're going to do this. And the client says, yeah, great. And the client leaves and then comes back and says, let's change this. And Glenn's like, oh, okay, great. So we'll do that. And then the client comes back and says, we'll change this too. Glenn's, oh, okay, redraws everything. Finally, the client is happy. Glenn goes to the, uh, the city of whatever it is and says, hey, here's some plans for a building we'd like to create. Could, could we do this? And the planning commissioner looks at it and says, oh, I'm going to have to take this to a committee. 
And uh, well, all we're doing is changing the, you know, where this electrical outlet is here. We're just moving it over 10 feet. Do we really, do we really need uh, a bit? Oh yeah, we definitely have to put that to up to a vote. Yeah, and so that goes back. And then about two weeks later, they, they finally come back. Oh yeah, yeah, we got that vote. But we actually have some other changes we need to make. You see how this works, right? And so Glenn says, should take a month, should cost such and such. It ends up taking six months and costs 12 times that because of all the crazy things that happen. And the reason that happens is because Glenn, even though he has the master plan, is just Glenn. He's not, he's not God. He can't, he can't tell the commissioner this. He can't just tell this to the, the customer. He's at their mercy. And so Glenn has a plan, but it's really, really hard for him to work it out. That's not what happens with God. God has a design for the universe, a plan of salvation that includes us. And whatever God decides, he accomplishes. And he does not fail. He's not pushed back by our failures. He's not slowed down because of what we do. He doesn't have to wait for the red tape of the universe to get cleared out. God is the architect who has complete and utter control. And so he accomplishes everything according to his design. Work for God is the same thing as accomplished. Moving forward in verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. I've uh, made it a little more literal. Uh, the, the Greek word there is not trusted, it's hoped. It's uh, the idea of something that you haven't experienced yet, but, but you're, you're, you're trusting or you're hoping that it's coming. It's a sure hope, no doubt, but it's a hope. It's not the same thing as believing in something. Uh, so I've just changed that. My, uh, who first hoped in the Messiah might exist to bring praise to his glory. And that, again, it's just a more literal translation of uh, should be. In verse 13, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I've brought this out a few times, and I just want to remind you. When you open up your pew Bible and you're looking in the New King James Version, the New King James Version will occasionally have these very strange words, italicized. And you might be like, what? Because for us, italicizing means uh, emphasis, right? So we, we italicize something to like, give it some punch. The New King James actually doesn't do that. It, it does it because the translators are trying to get at the sense of the text, and they've added a word. And so um, I've taken that word out, um, and tried to get a sense of the, of the Greek grammar there, trusted. So, in whom you too, who heard the word of truth, the good news of your rescue and believed it, were secured with the Holy Spirit of promise. I, I, I've altered the good news of your rescue because I really want to capture, I want to home, home in on the exodus, Right? Uh, it's, it's not just salvation in the sense of salvation from hell, although it is that. It's also liberation. It's rescue. The way Paul thinks about sin is sin is something that rules you. It's enslaved you. It's like the Pharaoh in your life. And, and Jesus has rescued you. And also, when we use the word gospel, we, we, try and, we, we tend to think of that as just like something that we say that we believe uh, in Christianity. And there's a little frustrating thing for, for us sometimes about that. Because gospel really does mean good news. It really is an announcement. Um, just an aside, I, I've noticed this um, over the years in my own life and, and often in the life of other Christians. And that is that um, sometimes we, we want to share the gospel with people, but we're a little bit hesitant. 
right? We feel like we might kind of be encroaching on their personal space. This is a very American thing. Uh, you know, in America, we live in a pluralistic society. We understand that everyone's got their own thing that they do, and that's great. You, you know, live and let live. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. And sometimes it's kind of hard for us to get in there and just tell the good news. I think the reason for that, the reason for that is that at some core part of us, we're afraid that if we tell someone the gospel, they're going to be offended. Or they're going to be, that you got into my personal space. They're going to be a little bit just, meh. But that should tell us something about what we think about the good news that we're telling. You see, if we really think that this is good news, it should be really easy to announce it. We should expect that people are going to be stoked up. It was so interesting when, when Glenn was praying how, how he, he wanted uh, God to go in and, and pierce hearts. He was asking God to pierce the hearts of those who are in our lives who are not saved, who haven't trusted Jesus. Um, it's interesting because we have to be in a place where what we're telling to people is so thoroughly good news for us that it spills out and is good news for them. And this maybe is one of the reasons why I've used the word rescue here. Um, for salvation. And the Greek word really does mean both. Uh, it's because I think what I'm looking for when I'm sharing the gospel with someone, we say share the gospel, is I'm looking for a chance to tell them, you're freed from this now. I know this is wrecking you on the inside. I know your heart is broken over this thing. I know you feel enslaved in this way. You're free now. You see the difference right there. You've already, you've encountered someone in where they are and you're seeing the way that they're hurting and you say, good news, friend. It doesn't have to be like that anymore. I I found a lot of times in in life, it's, um, for me especially, people in my life, the way that I can share good news uh, with them is to make sure that they really are hearing something that's good news, that they really have been rescued from something by Christ, that there's a thing in their life that their, their chains that are holding them down have been shattered. If you can find that in people's lives, the sharing the gospel is not awkward. It's an announcement of happiness. So look for those things in, in, in the lives of your friends, places where your friends and family need to be rescued, where they need to be given hope and say, you have that in Christ. That doesn't rule you anymore. We'll talk a little bit more about um, secured, where I've changed the word sealed with the Holy Spirit to secured. Um, We'll talk about that. Um, It's mostly just updating the language, but... Going forward to verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I've uh, really tried to bring out the, the context of Paul's language. The Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance toward the redemption of God's property from Hawk to the praise of his glory. That might sound a little uh, not poetic to us, but it really does capture the, the economic language that Paul is using. When I learned to play guitar, um, I refused to take lessons, which was a terrible decision. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely, I've stunted. My, growth, uh, my guitar growth stunted at about the age of 22. And I've been doing the same tricks over and over ever since. But the guitar that I got to, to use, um, the guitar that I, 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 I've shamed, I'm not worthy of it, it's a, it's a Martin D41. 
For those of you who don't know, uh, Martin D41 is uh, a really high-quality Martin guitar, one of the premier acoustic guitar makers. And uh, the D41, um, it was in 1970, it has abalone shell inlaid on the neck. Um, that's kind of, I think that's illegal now because you, you're not allowed to poach abalone in most places. Um, so the reason I have this guitar from 1970 is that my father, when he was in the Air Force, he uh, was on home and leave. I, I think it was in San Francisco, but I, I might have the details wrong. He uh, walked into a pawn shop of all places, and there it was, right above the, the counter. And as he was walking in, a guy had just walked out. And he looked at that, and my dad, had, he, he coveted, he craved uh, being able to play Neil Diamond songs on a, on a really high-quality guitar. Uh, and, and, there, and there it was. There it was. He was just, in his head, he was already badly singing, you know, Cherry Baby or whatever. <laughs> really, the only part he should do is the ba ba ba. Or is that Sweet Caroline? Whatever. Anyway, uh, so he's looking at this Martin D41, and he's like, it, you know, the light is shining, it's glowing. And uh, the pawn shop owner says, so you'd t- like to take a look at that thing. My dad says, yeah, absolutely, and f- finds out that it's just ridiculously low price. In fact, in fact, the guy who had just walked out was the one who had hawked the guitar. And he was a shady-looking dude, probably had some bad ideas, but he was hoping, he was hoping that he'd be able to come back and get that guitar a week later with the money that he'd used. But no, no chance, because Dave Bennett, captain in the Air Force, desiring to be a young Neil Diamonds, saw it and took it first. That language right there, of putting money down, of taking it in a pawn shop, is exactly the language Paul uses to talk about us. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Let's hear it again. Let's hear the whole text again. We have also been appointed an inheritance in Christ. We were predestined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. This was so that we, who first hoped in the Messiah, might exist to bring him glory. And in him you too, Church of Ephesus, Coates Bible Church, who heard the word of truth, the good news of your rescue from the power of sin, and believed it, were secured with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance toward the redemption of God's property from Hawk, to the praise of his glory. I'd like to draw out a little bit of the theology here. Uh, that the, in, the, in verse 11, appointed an inheritance. The reason I've changed it to appointed an inheritance is that this is, uh, it's very common language in the Old Testament, specifically the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, and I've noted there Numbers 26, 55 to 56. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll find over and over and over during the wilderness wanderings, the Israelites are walking around the wilderness, walking around the wilderness, and they're coming up, they're, they're envisioning, they're envisioning where they're headed, the promised land. And one of the things that comes up over and over and over is that because they're God's children, Israel's God's child, God has an inheritance for them. And when they talk about that inheritance, they use this language. It has been appointed by Lot, which is uh, exactly the language that Paul is using right here in Ephesians. The idea being that when the people go into the land, the land's going to be divided up, apportioned in such a way that every single family in Israel will have its own land, its own plot, a place to work the earth, a place to make their fortune, as it were. And they're told that these plots are going to be the kinds of plots that are robust and they're they're fruitful, and so that when they finally get there, it's going to be overflowing with milk and honey, as it were. And so as they're going 40 years in the desert, 
They have this thing that they're looking forward to. It's their inheritance. It's a lot. It's land. Land doesn't matter that much to us because, well, we're in America. Well, I guess actually it kind of does now, right? Because you look around here and boy, land is expensive. It's pricey. It's hard to get your own plot, right? Well, so we can maybe hear a little bit of the importance of having your own space. And that's the inheritance that the Israelites were looking forward to. And so we might ask ourselves if Paul's language really is the language of the wilderness wanderings and this inheritance really is something like the land or the lot that we're headed to, what might that tell us about our own inheritance in the next life? Well, I want to suggest that we, like the Israelites, have an inheritance, but it's a Christian inheritance. The Israelites were looking for a land for the family to to sit down and, and work. We're looking for something similar, but also a little bit different. Just like them, the land that we're looking for is a land of robust life. It's a land that that the Israelites would have called shalom. It would have had peace, full life. But it's also something different. Our promised land is forever. Our promised land is also a real physical place. In Romans 8, 19 to 23, we find that the creation whole world is groaning with an expectation of being renewed. A physical place. Heaven's not fluff land, friends. Uh, people, you know, people want to think that you just go up and you're like, like floating in space or something like that. That's not, that's not heaven. That's not, what, uh, the, the, that's not the language the Bible uses. The, the Bible uses language of physicalness, of reality. It's going to be a life where you have a body and you live in a place. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, when he talks about many mansions, he's not messing around. It's real. There really are going to be doors that you enter and bedrooms you sleep in. Heaven is a physical place. That said, it's a renewed place. It's not the same as the kind of heaven, uh, it's not the same as the kind of earth we live in now. Um, And I've noted here, it's renewed, refreshed, complete. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the kind of physicality of heaven, and it's, it's similar to what we know, but it's different. So we can't quite imagine it as just exactly like the houses we live in now but we can imagine it as, as, as similar and continuous. And so on, on your note sheets, um, the Christian inheritance is a full, a rich, full, physical, heavenly, promised land. I guess I skipped that part there. Oh, yeah, that gives context. Just before in your note sheets, in the wilderness, Israel had to rely on God for their inheritance, hope, and security. We're talking about inheritance right now. Inheritance, hope, and security. Um, and then our inheritance is a rich, full, physical, heavenly, promised land. Let's move forward, verse 12. So this was that we who first hoped in the Messiah might exist to bring praise to his glory. Uh, Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about other Jews at this point. Um, and he's talking about the idea that they beforehand, we're looking forward to, um, to the Messiah. But the thing is, here's the deal. We were talking about art- architects earlier. One thing is, uh, Glenn, I mean, as an architect, and maybe Daniel too, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know if you guys think of yourselves as artists, right? Uh, but if you do, I think you should. I think architecture definitely is art. Um, if I were to come to, to Glenn or Daniel and I was like, hey, can you design a domicile for me? You know, make, make the, the house, the, you know, what I would want. They would say things like, well, how many bedrooms do you want? You know, square footage, what's the land? They'd ask me all these questions, and I'd give them some information. And then they would go off into, the, like, the, the lab, in the architecture lab. 
And they would, you know, click buttons on mouses and draw things. And they would think about stuff and look at pictures. And all the while, I'd be sitting off on the side being like, oh, man, it's going to be great. And I would start to imagine what it's going to be like. It's going to have, a, you know, this awesome pool in the backyard, fenced in. Aaron says if there's ever a pool, it has to be fenced in because the kid's, you know, it's dangerous. Um, you know, that master bath, oh, boy, wouldn't it be great to have one of those tubs? Those things are sweet. Love to have a big tub in the master bath. Um, and I got all these ideas, right? Oh, it's going to be, you know, colonial, neo-colonial, whatever it is. At the same time, at the same time, Glenn and Daniel are furiously working away, using their artistic talent to create something that they, they're imagining Tom and Aaron and the girls, and they're like, what's going to be just right for them? And then if you've seen HGTV, the, what, what happens then is you have your eyes closed, and then they, like, reveal, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. It's a, it's a, it shows that they have. You should totally check it out. It's really great. Um, yeah. But, but what's interesting, though, what's interesting, though, is in that moment with that reveal, what's so cool is the person sees their new home, and it's not quite what they expected, right? Because they've put their home into the hands of an artist, the Glens, the Daniels. And, 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 and the, the artist has done their work, and the artist has thought about what this person needs and changed it and altered it in order to be just right for them, and then bam, it hits. And so you're looking at it, and you're like, oh my, oh my goodness, this is incredible, but it's not what I was thinking it was going to be. This is exactly what Paul, how Paul feels as a Jew, um, who thought he understood the plan of God, and, and, now, and now he sees that it includes Jesus, it includes the Gentiles, it includes all these things, and he's thinking, wow, this isn't what I expected, but man, it's great, it's better. It's better that we have these people come in. It's better that God has shown us that he is a suffering God who is willing to put up with the sins of the world. This is incredible. And in that moment, when Paul's feeling that, he... Is fulfilling the vocation of Israel. Israel was always called to testify to how good God was and to tell the story of what God did. And in this moment, when he sees the big picture and the house is revealed and it's beautiful in, in so many ways, he says, this is what God's like. He's the one who made this. This is what we do too. And it shows us, it shows us that God does not give up on his commitments. When, when Daniel or Glenn go and they, de- and they design the perfect house, the perfect plan for us, they don't quit. And God doesn't quit either. And Paul sees the beautiful, pl- uh, the beautiful plan, the beautiful house, and he sees how it's, it's similar to what's gone before. And it's also different. This Jewish messianic hope, God does not give up on his commitments we think about the present rescue versus the exodus rescue. In, in, in the present rescue, sin's power is broken. In the exodus rescue, Pharaoh's power has been broken. We think about the present wilderness. Remember, Paul's conceiving us in the wilderness wanderings, how it's the same and different as what's gone before. Uh, the present wilderness, we're waiting for Jesus. And yet, as we are, we are we're being uh, provided for and guided by the Holy Spirit, which we'll see in a second. But this should remind us of the Exodus generation, who they were going to the promised land, they were headed to heaven, their version of heaven, but at the same time they were being provided for and guided by God through manna and quail and the pillars of fire and the clouds. Friends, what that all means is that because we've seen what God's done in the past, we can trust that our present future has a hope Because God brought the people through the wilderness, we can trust that God's going to bring us through this life. Having experienced God's liberation in faith, you 
have a sure hope for a bright future. You can bank it because you know that you have the same God as the Exodus generation. The same God that raised Jesus Christ is your God. And because of that, you don't have to worry about the future. It's going to be good. You're going to get to the promised land. Even if you don't know exactly what it's going to look like. That's in your note sheets. The Jewish messianic hope. A sure hope for a bright future. Verse 13. In him you too, who heard the word of truth, the good news of your rescue and believed it, were secured with the Holy Spirit of promise. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, that word secured, uh, you might think of it as sealed. And, and you might remember um, how you think about seals in the, in the old days, right? They didn't have email that was encrypted, which is a big deal if you're working in government, apparently. You need to make sure that your emails are very well encrypted, or you could get in a lot of trouble. Just saying. Uh, anyway, so you couldn't encrypt your email, so instead what you did is you sealed it with uh, you know, that, the little wax mark. It was your seal, right? You'd stamp it. And that would mean that um, whatever was in that letter was owned by you. It was yours. Um, a way that we might think of it today is uh, my, my grandfather, Joe, he um, is a tough man, uh, the hardest man I've ever met. Um, he, uh, he lives on a ranch up in northeastern California. It's where my dad is right now, and he's planning to come back because it's pretty rough up there. Uh, really, seriously, I, it's, um, it's like three hours from the nearest Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just two steps above Hades. I mean, uh, anyway, Joe, uh, Joe's an old dude now, um, but back when he was um, a little more fit, he, uh, he raised cattle. And Joe's ranch is called the, the Z Lazy Z Ranch. And uh, so his brand has like a, or did, had like a Z, and then another Z that was kind of off to the side, like cricket, the Z Lazy Z. I have one memory of being there in the summer during the branding of the cattle. Horrible, horrible process. Um, you got to get these, these cows to like stay still, which they don't want to do. And so you put them in a, almost like a cage of, of sorts, and it kind of forces them to sit there, and then you just and they squeal and run. But, but after that, after that, they, they've got Joe's seal on them. This means that wherever those cows go, they're Joe's. They've got his mark on them. They're owned by him. And everybody knows it. Joe's a tough dude. Everybody in town knows Z, Lazy Z. They know old Joe. He's a sure shot. Look out. Don't mess with his stuff. It's exactly the language Paul uses here, secured with the Holy Spirit. It marks out ownership, and, and the thing that's interesting about it is it's not, it tells you who it is, but the security of the cow, the reason the cow is not going to end up in somebody else's field or on somebody else's plate eventually, is that the security is based on the power of the owner. Everybody knows that Joe is a crack shot, and he is not a forgiving man. Uh, he's one of the most just despicable people I know, and, and that's great. I love him very much, but you don't want to mess with him. And as a result, if you were thinking about taking his cattle, as soon as you see that late Z lazy Z, you don't touch it. You walk away. You don't steal that thing because Joe's tough and he's going to come and get what's his. And as a result, every single one of those cows is safe. It's secure. That's exactly what Paul means when he says we're secured with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit's tough. The Holy Spirit doesn't just walk away. The Holy Spirit grabs on, gets inside of you. We call indwelling. Once the Spirit's inside of you, the Spirit doesn't leave. It's yours. 
talk more about that in a second. Verse 14, the spirit is the down payment on our inheritance toward the redemption of God's property from hawk to the praise of his glory. There it is, the D41. A soft glow about it. And there's the pawn owner. And there's the down payment. And there's the full payment. You think of the D41. That's us. We're in a pawn shop. And the owner, the one who owns us, is sin, the enemy, the devil. And Jesus walks in. And he says, that one's mine. I'm going to take it home. I don't have all the cash on me right now, but here's a thousand bucks. Don't let anyone else take it. The pawn owner looks at it. He pockets the thousand. He takes the D41 off the back of the, off the back of the wall and puts it in the back room. It's not for sale anymore. It's owned. Hasn't, hasn't the full payment's not there yet. Jesus walks out the store. He's going to come back. He's, he's got a thousand bucks. No way he's going to leave that. He's going to come back for that guitar. This is the Holy Spirit. For us, the Spirit is the down payment. The full payment, the redemption of God's property from Hawk is when the Lord returns a second time and takes the D41 home. Which brings us to the question of Christian security. We are guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Friends, a lot of people worry um, about whether or not they're going to heaven or hell, whether or not they're saved. Their whole churches, the, the whole message of the church is that you've got to figure it out. You don't know. You're confused. You know, are you really sealed by the Spirit? you really have the Spirit? Friends, yeah, you do. In the same way that um, God guided the people in the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a cloud, we have the Spirit inside of us, guiding us. In the same way that God provided manna and quail for the people to eat, the Spirit provides everything that we need. And if you're wondering about whether or not you were owned by God, think, think about this, think about this. When Joe is branding that cattle, what does the cow have to do with the brand? Nothing. Moreover, what if the cow decides, I don't like this brand, I want a new one? Tough. What if someone comes along and decides, I'm going to put a new brand on that cow? You don't want to mess with Joe. That's a really bad idea. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is like that in you. At the moment you believed, the Spirit came in and it marked you out, owned by God. Come what may. Do not fear, even if you don't like it. That Spirit's inside of you. The Spirit's got a hold of you and the Spirit's not going to let go. Jesus walked into the pawn shop, put down a whole big, big bunch of money, that Holy Spirit, on the, on the table and said, this one's mine. Friends, you're, you're in the back room. You're, you're sold. You're, you're marked out. No one, no one, no one can, can outbid you. No one can outbid Jesus. You're set. 
And all you're doing, all you're doing is waiting for the day when Jesus comes back with the full payment and says, let's go home. There is nothing you can do to get rid of that. There is nothing anyone else can do to step in and take, take you. You're taken. You're sold. You're owned. You're free from the master's sin. You're free from the ways of the world. All those chains are broken. And the Holy Spirit of God secures you for the last day. Having received the Spirit by faith, you are secured without doubt for the promised land. The last thing in your note sheets. You are secured without doubt. There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. And that's the big truth. That's it, friends. That's the whole story. The whole story of the world, the whole story of your lives, the whole story of the universe, the whole story of everything. It's God's story. It starts out, God chose you. And then God delivered you and set you free. And now God has secured you for the promised land. And there is nothing that you can do about it. And if you recognize that, if you recognize the big story, then all the little stuff becomes little. If you know that you've been chosen, called out from the beginning of the world, that you've been set free from all the things that, t- that drag you down, and that you're secured for a robust, rich, heavenly life, and there's nothing you can do to get out of it, man, it sure is a lot less difficult to face all those things out there. You've been made new. And sorry, next week we're going to talk about how you can live new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the security deposit, the down payment of the Spirit, the one that secures us once for all, safe, owned, protected. God, I pray we'll rest in that knowledge that having trusted you, you have taken ownership of us. That you've got an inheritance waiting for us, a promised land, a land that's real, that's rich, that's full. God, that our hope is sure, it's bright, and that we're secured without doubt. And in that truth, God, I pray, we'll go out into the world and bring glory to you, sharing good news, announcing good news of rescue and freedom. In Jesus' name, by whom it all is possible, we pray. Amen.